Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot where the conversations are pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Did you bring your thinking caps? Because it's time to put them on. Because the conversation starts now. Thank you so much. So, Brains, we're talking to Claire McDowell. I love her accent. And she sent me some pictures of Greece. Now she got me make you making me want to go. But we're going to talk about two parallel things, but very separate things. Her career in nursing and her career now as divorce coaching. Still caregiving. You know, it can be synonymous, but we want to talk about that. And what is it like at a networking event? Girl, I haven't been out. You know, I go out and do social stuff and I I work the room. But just to be with the girls and have lunch and talk about how cute your shoes are. And what's that feel like now in the environment? Oh, my God, it was amazing. It was so energizing. It was absolutely brilliant. I'm so used to seeing people on Zoom and it was like, oh, that's who you are. And that's how tall you are. Because, you know, when someone's on Zoom, you've no idea. Um, So it was brilliant. So they did, it was women in business and they did a live link up. So I was at one in Belfast in Northern Ireland. They did a live link up in Dublin and two of the speakers drove between the two venues. So one of them spoke with us first and then she drove to Dublin and spoke in the afternoon. And the other girl spoke in Dublin, drove to Belfast. I mean, they did a brilliant job. So we did live links up, link ups for some panel um, question and answers. And so there were some speakers and then they did panels where they had people talking about their businesses and it was absolutely brilliant. And they gave lots of networking time, which was super because so often events like this are not about what you hear from the stage. They're about who you're sitting beside or who you can help or who can help you. And so, yeah, it was honestly, it was just brilliant. I really loved it. So let me ask you, what are three tips that you have for networking then i'll give you three of mine okay um i think use every opportunity as a networking opportunity okay that would be the first one uh, the second one would be know your story so that you can talk about it easily in an easy way that it's not forced and contrived and another one would be always look to see what you can give as well as what you can get do it as a two-way streak absolutely But I say what's key is to really kind of, you can't get everyone in the room. No. Move through the room, have the conversation and see who your top three are. I always grab business cards and I always have like a number coding on the back. Like this is a person I want to follow up with. They're ones, they're twos or or threes. Uh, Follow up is paramount. You get this contact. It's a warm lead. Somebody you've had a conversation with. They're interested in what you're doing. You're interested in what they're doing, that back and forth, you have to follow up. And not a month from now, oh, you know, you have to follow up within three to five days. That's very important. And again, like you said, it's reciprocal. You know, what is the ROI? What is the return on the investment in building this relationship and working the room? Everything is not going to be monetized. There might be advertising. There might be a, a course. There might be a nanny. <laughs> you never know what information you might yeah. get. So uh, I just want my brains to know a little bit more about you personally, Claire McDowell. Uh, you want to start with your story and then you can tell me about this divorce coaching because 
I'm telling you, that's going to be some good stuff. But go ahead, <laughs> start with your nursing. Okay, well, hello, everyone. So my name is Claire, and I, uh, I live in Ireland, if you haven't already guessed. I'm from the south of Ireland, and I've been living in the north now for about 25 years in different places. So I trained as a nurse in Dublin, and I trained as a children's nurse primarily, but I did a four-year combined course. And then, so that was children's and general. And then I worked in a children's hospital for six years and absolutely loved it, really loved it. I loved working with kids, but it is exhausting because you have to think for them and think outside the box and you're treating the parents and there's all sorts of stuff. Um, but it was great experience. Then I met a man and moved to where he was. So he was in the north of Ireland. So then I had to change jobs. So then I thought, OK, so I've done all children's. Don't really want to do that again. And I didn't want to do geriatric nursing and end up on a ward with stroke patients or something. So I was a little bit like, OK, well, what am I going to do? And I found a job for a children's nurse in an A&E department. And I thought, oh, OK, well, I didn't like A&E as a student nurse, but it was because I had a clash with the ward manager. So I thought, OK, can I get over that? Which I did. And I got the post and I spent 20 years then in different A&E departments, 16 of them at management level on the nursing team. So part of my role in every A&E department was the, the children's sister. So I also taught on children's trauma courses around Ireland. And um, I loved it, I must say. I loved the chopping and changing. I loved teaching. I loved the fact that we got to see people. A lot of what we did, we got to have life or death situations and we could make a difference straight away. Obviously, in an A&E department or emergency room, as I think you might be more familiar with, not every story ends up with a happy ending. And then there's pulling the team together and there's turning around and going back outside to the person who's complaining about their sore ankle that they've had for five weeks. So there's a lot of ability to learn how to be flexible and how to be resilient and lots of different skills come into play there. Um, but it, it, I thrived on it, I loved it. And we moved around different places with my ex-husband's job. And um, I was very fortunate. I, I didn't ever find it difficult to get a job. And I moved up the, the ranking scale. And then I found the night duty was a killer. Me and night duty are not best friends. So I just found I was exhausted. And I had to do a lot of nights because we had to cover the whole department 24-7 with the senior team. And we did IVF for a few years, had miscarriages, and then we have two amazing boys. So they are 11 and 13 now. Mm. And when they were smaller, I was either going to be saying I'm tired or I was going to be on night duty and working because I find we did sort of two weeks nights every three to four weeks. So I just didn't get into patterns properly and it affected my eating and I just got to the burnt out phase. So for about two years, I kept thinking this, this was great. It's now not great. And it was getting busier and we didn't have manpower and all of the things that didn't allow us to do the job that we were really trained and really passionate about because of logistics. So um, I started to look for something different and I got a part time job in a GP practice. So community based in a, in a GP practice. And I retrained to be their specialist respiratory nurse, which is a great role to have in COVID when it hit the world. Um, but it was very challenging, very interesting, and I did love it. I hadn't studied for about 15 years, so my brain cells went into meltdown when I tried to do all these diplomas. I was like, goodness me, what's hitting me? Um, so I think, you know, it's really strange because I don't think I ever saw a time that I wouldn't be in a nursing role within that capacity. Mm. What I loved about nursing was there's plenty of options for change because you can do community, you can do midwifery, you can do 
ward work. So there's, you know, whatever type of thing that you like, there's loads of options within the one umbrella. So that really worked for me. Um, but, but the thing is, is now you've morphed that into another kind of nursing, a nursing back of the heart and the soul and the mending of a woman's self-esteem with mm -hmm. this divorce coaching. How did you find yourself in that space? Well, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, about six and a half years ago, I um, made a decision to leave a marriage that was broken. And that had been ongoing over quite a bit of time. And it wasn't an easy decision, but it was a decision that I got to because I thought we're not able to fix the breakdown in communication. And if we can't fix it and we're not able to move forward in a different way, well, then I have a choice. I can stay knowing what it's going to be like, or I can leave. And I have no idea what the future would hold, but I had this sense of something pulling me forward that there was more for me in my life that I could live. And uh, my ex-husband is a church minister. So I think it probably started with the question for me a long time before that of, is this God's best? What does God's best look like? And when I started to unpack that a little bit and look at my world and I thought, I don't think this could be God's best. It didn't sit well for me as what that might feel like or look like. So um, I made a decision not to stay. And then I started a divorce journey, which is an extremely difficult, complicated journey. It's like a tsunami of waves that just keeps coming. And no sooner than you get upright, then you're kind of tossed up and round again. So that's six and a half years ago. And about three years ago, I was in the car with my son. He would have been 10 at the time. And he said to me, mom, if you could do anything in the whole wide world, what would you do? And I said, anything, he said, yep, anything. And I said, well, I said, I'd be a life coach. And he said, well, why would you do that? And I said, because I would like to help people become unstuck. And like you do when you're 10, he said, well, why don't you? So that started me thinking, well, well, why don't I? And what might I like to do? And so I started looking at all sorts of options of coaching and counseling, lots of different things, because whilst I absolutely was passionate about A&E, I wasn't the same passionate level at the practice nursing and respiratory. I really liked it, but it just didn't fire me up the same way. And I thought, I know that when I get lit up and fired up, my world is better. And I didn't want to do this full-time and go from part-time to full-time as the children needed a bigger income from me. Um, I didn't want to do full-time. And I thought, well, if I don't want to work full-time in this world, then I have to decide what am I going to do? Because I'm the only one who can do something about it. Right. So. I then managed to fall um, whilst walking on a road in Dublin in trainers and broke my ankle. But I got to sit for a long time on an iPad and I just looked at all sorts of different options and things. And I came across a course to train to be a breakup and divorce coach. And the lady who was um, explaining her course was saying, if you are a coach and you would like to add this to your remit, or if you have been through a breakup and divorce journey. And when I heard that sentence, it was like, ah, now. Wow. That is a story that I know, and it is a difficult journey. And I mean, there are times when you think, I don't know how to get up. And I thought, but I have got up and I do know how to live a better world. And I invested a lot of time into understanding who was I before I met my ex-husband? Who was he? How did we jigsaw piece together? Right, right, because right. I, wanted, I wanted to know how that wouldn't ever happen again. Too many people in a second marriage end up in divorce. And I thought it nearly killed me. Once. But you know what? The, the thing is, it's a breakdown of communication. Uh, people aren't talking. It's a breakdown in intimacy. That'd be it. Yeah. That'd be a deal breaker for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
you know, but I'm in love with love. But I've been married to Mr. Magnificent for 38 years. I can't wow. imagine life without him. Uh, but this is something that I promised myself. About that much more I give to me than I give to anybody in the world. I need a reserve. Yeah. So many people pour everything into their children, their work, their relationship. They need that outside validation. And then when you come to consciously uncouple, it's ugly. It's ugly because now you're running on adrenaline, endorphins, and emotion. For whatever it is, you're not, not getting along. Then it's like this, the, the stages of grief. Oh, the it absolutely is a grief journey. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and it's not linear. It's very much up and down. And, and yeah, absolutely. And I would say to you that I didn't understand the concept of boundaries and the concept of, you know, giving to me and having a reserve. I do now but I didn't when I was married. And I have learned an awful lot on my journey of how do I want to live a, a world that's better for me, better for the children. And I've done a lot of, of trying to ask questions to help me to see what I would feel is healthier for me. And I absolutely look back and I think I didn't know, I didn't know how to meet my needs because I didn't know what my needs were. Right, well, so how long busy. were you married? 19 years. Wow. Okay. And what was your relationship between your parents? What was your mother was, how did that, that dynamic fit into it? Cause I'm just trying to look at, you know, a little bit of the epigenetics on how we perceive things, how we've learned our values, you know, again, and then you're under this religious doctrine umbrella. You better act a certain kind of way, girl. <laughs> you know, I so, said, you know, when you, we call them PK wise, you know, uh, you know, preachers wise. PWs and PKs as preacher's kids. And I, okay. <laughs> and they get a run for the money. Yes, they do, because it's like being the president's kid. And a, a light is shined on you to be uh, a role model, to go along, to get along, to do, you know, to do service of the people. So I'm sure that that was anchoring on you as well as looking at this other side of you that is this go-getter that's at the top of her game in medicine and, and networking and, you know, and then being a mother, you got a whole lot going on. You're juggling a lot of balls there. Yeah. And I was very good at juggling an awful lot of balls, but it wasn't healthy or good for me. So mm -hmm. now I know that just because I can, doesn't mean I should. Right. So, you know, and, and, and I, I look back now and I think being very busy is a default negative coping mechanism. Um, because it was my way of managing the world that I was living in. So you asked about my parents. My parents were married for 50 years. My mum passed away just after they were 50 years married. And um, they were they were very happy together. I would say that I'm not sure it's the relationship that I would like to be in, but it worked for them. And they absolutely created a stable home for, I have a, an older brother and a younger sister. Um, and, you know, whenever I got to the point where I was in my life, I, I wasn't quite sure what my parents would say because I didn't know because, you know, just I, I, I didn't know how they would respond because, again, there's a church implication and we were brought up in a church environment. And um, and yet I will say that my parents were very much like we want what's best for you. And if this is what you feel is best for you, then what do you need? We'll support you. Oh, and that was a wonderful gift that they gave me. It absolutely was. Um, I, I heard you talk about the sort of expectations of the um, pastor's wife or preacher's wife. 
before I married my ex-husband, I, I went to a talk by a bishop and his wife, actually. And it was based along the lines of if you're going to if you understand that in the role that you're going to be as married to a minister, you're going to offend people then the better option is to do what's going to work for you because you're going to offend people anyway rather than say yes to keep the peace so that was a very good piece of advice before I started and um, before I got married before I became a minister's wife and I was quite good at doing what I felt was right for me now I do I know I did a lot and I really enjoyed it it's a very privileged world to be in because you have access to people's lives that you wouldn't normally have and I don't take that for granted and we met amazing people and I'm still friends with an awful lot of them. Um, some people will have expectations, but in life, people will have expectations no matter who you are, what role you're in. So really, for me, it's more of how you manage it, how you that cope with sense. it. That makes perfect sense. All right. So let's dial forward. You're in the situation. You are ready to get a divorce. Talk to that woman and give her a strategy. Where should she begin? Well, Okay. So is she is she in the still married stage or she's stepped out and they're on a divorce pathway? Uh, let's just start with the emotional mindset. So yes. she's, you know, she's at this point and she's, you know, going through the file cabinet looking to see where, where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> uh, because women don't do that. And in my opinion, I don't know, you tell me whether you agree or not, but there's only two or three reasons uh, that people really get ugly in a divorce. Number one, they've been cheated on, you know, sexual indiscretion. They've been uh, they've been embarrassed and there's a baby or they really don't get along. It's a, a, a real tough situation or um, there is, a, you know, finances involved. You live in a certain lifestyle and here you're in Ireland. I, maybe you're a little bit more civil, but I tell you here in California, they are cutthroat. They are cutthroat and um, it's not fair. You know, a lot of times women aren't treated equally because they've run the household, but that was the job. So where does she, yeah. where does she start? Well, I think the first thing I would say to somebody is if you're on a divorce pathway, the first really important thing to understand is the legal process is not fair. It is the legal process. And if you can get your expectations into that world fairly quickly, you will cope a lot better along the way. It doesn't mean you don't have a voice, but it means if your expectations are in a place that they're more likely to be realized, you're going to manage your emotions better. So that's one of the first things I would say, because I think a lot of people naively think, well, I'm going to get this and I'm going to do that. And it all comes tumbling down like a house of cards. So that would be one of the first bits of advice I would give. I would also say to someone that what I would love her to do is to spend a little bit of time and find out who she is. Because very often when you get to a marriage breakdown, you've lost your identity. I remember when I, I stepped out of my marriage about three months later, I bought a book on divorce and I can still remember the second chapter. I was lying in bed and the second chapter talked about no matter who you are and what side of a divorce you're on, for whatever the reason, each party needs to find a new identity. And I can still remember lying in bed going, well, what does that mean? And how on earth do you do that? And now I understand that to be to understand the world you live in. So to understand and look and go, what are what are your values and why are they important? And are they your values or have you borrowed them from your partner or your parents? And actually, they don't sit well because they're not yours in the first place. So understanding your world by way of values, because we make our decisions from our value base, whether we realize it or not. 
So understanding what are yours to keep and what values maybe have you borrowed that you need to hand back to different people just on a sort of a, a subconscious level. No, I'm choosing not to take that. So, so this is where very often in life, we don't actually take responsibility for things. So taking 100% responsibility for who you are and where you are and how you go forward is the most empowering step that anyone can take on a divorce journey. Because this is where you are. You may not like it, but if it's where you are and you're able to take responsibility for it, then you can have forward momentum. Otherwise, you will stay in victim mode and you will stay very stuck. Mm. And, and that may, may be where you want to be, but it's not going to be healthy for you. And if you have children, it has an impact on the children. So part of my passion in doing this is that I understand that if I can help one parent in a divorce situation to become stable and grounded and secure and understand their needs are important, their children automatically become more stable because the parent is stable. So I get to impact the legacy of that client by default, which is an amazingly humble, privileged position to be in. But I know that children need security and consistency and routine. And if as an adult, you are all over the shop emotionally, you can't provide that for your children. So I think a lot of people, and I would hold my hand up and go, I was one who went, first question, what's the most important thing? What's in the best interest of the children when making decisions? When actually that's the wrong question. A better question is, what is in my best interest? Because if it's in my best interest, it will automatically be in the children's best interest because I oh, will be more huge. stable. That's huge. Yeah. Oh, that's huge. That's very clear. Taking ownership, sitting in it. And then now let's work on the strategy because you said that the legal system is not fair. Um, you know, again, you're running on emotion. Should you take a little time to really kind of process all of this before running full throttle, going out and getting an attorney? I think there's two aspects to that. I think it is very sensible and very wise to employ an attorney for an initial consultation to find out what you need to know. Because when you don't know what you don't know, you're, you're not in a good position when it comes to having any ability to make what I would consider to be wise or good decisions. So getting a basic grounding for this is my situation. What is your take as a, as a lawyer on it? is a good starting point, but you can do that and then park it for a while, but at least you have an idea of what's important and what's not. I would say that when emotions run high, it's not a good place to be trying to do very much. It's not a good place to make very big life-changing decisions. It's not a good place to have a negotiating table because you're not clear thinking enough. And what I like to help my clients with is to understand why they're reacting the way they are to show them that actually, if you're able to res respond rather than react, you have a better ability to empower yourself to say what you really want to say and not find that you say X, Y, and Z and then regret it. So again, that's that ownership of how do you want to communicate? And, and one of the things I do is I say to my clients, look, what about you look forward X amount of time and wherever you happen to be there, if you look back, say it's, we just pick six months, for example, if you look back from six months in the future, would you like to be proud of how you've handled yourself? Oh, wow. Because that's an empowering question to ask somebody, which, which helps someone to see in a different way. Part of what I do as a coach is ask questions to help people see things in a different perspective. Mm. Because if you can see things from a different perspective, you then have choices that you didn't know you had. Exactly. We all have all choices. 
It's all about the reframing. And you have to be very careful and very delicate because you have maybe children involved. Mm -hmm. That is such an impactor. Again, they need consistency. Um, they need to know that they're loved, that it's not their fault, that they may have access to both parents. It is a very, very delicate dance. What do you say uh, to the, the woman or the man that is in that and dealing with the children? What I would say to anybody in that situation is that children's need, that the paramount thing of children's needs are security and stability. That's what they are. They don't need toys. They don't need trips out. They need stability and security. And for that, they need routine. And really what they need is, as you've just said, they need to know that they're loved. And they also need to know that no matter what's happening in the adult world up here, that as children, it's not their fault because children internalize things and we don't know or give them enough credit for what they think. And very often you will hear stories where older children will say, I thought it was my fault that mom and dad were fighting a lot because I was being naughty. So imparting to children that this is because mommy and daddy aren't, aren't getting along, we're not happy together in a way that's not about the children is a really important gift to give them at the very beginning because then they're able to be free to be a child. Otherwise, they take responsibility that's not theirs to take and they try and behave and be good to try and keep the parents together. And it's almost like this bargaining thing. And that child isn't able to be a child because they've stepped into something that's not theirs to step into. Absolutely, and there's not a lot that they can control in that. Let's no. ask a fun question. What do you say to the woman that's been through all of this, everything's settled? She comes back to you six months and says, you know, I want to check in with you, Dr. Carol. I'm ready to fall back in love. What do you say to her? Well, I would say, first of all, have you found someone? Would be the first thing I would say. You know, is this just a you would like to? Or is it you have found someone and you're coming because of that? Or whatever it would happen to be. Um, a lot of this <clears throat> depends on the circumstances for the breakup. If the circumstances for the breakup had held any form of abuse within it, even if it wasn't recognized at the time, I would say to someone that it would be really important that they understand how to frame their world in a way that keeps them safe. Because our brains are wired to keep us safe. And the only way that our brains understand safety is familiarity. So it's very easy to fall back into a familiar pattern because it feels safe, but that doesn't mean it's healthy for you or good for you. So I would look at the circumstances that somebody had been in and try and help them to see what they can't see that I might be able to see. And again, by asking questions for someone to see their world in a different way. If there has been no abuse, if their um, partner had gone off and had an affair or whatever had happened and that wasn't the case. That's abuse. <laughs> That's the worst kind of abuse, somebody going out on you. <laughs> well, a marriage doesn't just end. It's what they call a slow fade. Right. But very often somebody will say, he just upped and left. And I'm thinking, no, that's not the case. Right. But you, you haven't known how to see it. Because again, they don't want to see it. They don't want to recognize. And people do move in different directions. And like the song says, uh, free, free, set them free. If you love someone, then you let them go about their way. Uh, it's very difficult, but it's the very mature thing to do. It's easier said than done. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of things to consider, but take that time to consider it. Take that time to connect with someone like Claire. You know, let her be the interceder before you jump to a rash decision. There might be a possibility after going through this, going through some exercises, 
you might be able to rekindle that relationship. Anything is possible. Um, but if you're not and you are going through the process of divorce or you're on the other side of it or you're contemplating it, really be gentle with yourself. This is a big decision. It's equally, if not more so, uh, than getting married because now you have other contributing factors. Mm -hmm the property, your finance, your children, your heart, your spirituality, your relationship with God, the outside chitter chatter and the noise. There's a lot to think about. And, and disappointed expectations. Right. You have not, you know, with that grief journey. And that's the reason that I've gone into doing this coaching because I didn't have, I didn't have me six years ago. Oh. I didn't even know someone like me existed six and a half years ago. So it is possible to move from a place of brokenness, you know, at three o'clock in the morning with your back against the wall in a bedroom crying because you just don't know how to, you don't know what to do next. There's too many things to figure out. It is possible to get from that place to here because I've done it. But the reason I'm doing this is because you don't have to do it the hard way. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be like that. Right. And I would have said I would have had a bit of a degree in self-sabotage and making my life hard. So I've had to retrain myself. And now when I'm going to do something, what I say, what I ask myself is, What's the easiest way to do this? Mm. Because there is an easy way and a hard way for just about everything in life. Everything. Everything. And you don't have to do a divorce journey on your own, but you do have to reach out to somebody to ask for help because that's your responsibility to do that. And if you're brave enough and courageous enough to ask for help, there is help there. And then you have support. So emotionally, your system feels like you have somewhere to go to be seen and heard. And so often, that in itself is a catalyst for healing being able to be seen and heard because when you talk to your friends and your family they're looking at it from their lens and their um their attitude to divorce and their attitude to your ex-partner and all of those things so in some ways it's not a safe space because coming to somebody like me as a trained professional i don't do judgment i just say to people put your head like a handbag just put it on the table whatever is in there Let's put it on the table and I will help you sort it out and organize it into priorities and organize it into different things so that it's not this jumbled mess that you're not quite sure what to do with. And I didn't have that. And it took me a long time and it was worth every step of the way. But I thought other people don't have to do it the way I did. Absolutely. So if people are able to use my hindsight and my insight, it can shorten their journey. It can make it less emotional. They can be less upset along the way and they can find their feet to moving forward much quicker. And that's the why for me doing this, because I know what's possible and I know that I can see what people can't see in their world. Right. And understand the tenderness from a spiritual capacity, because, mm -hmm. you know, again, that's very loving. Thank you so much, Claire McDowell. Please tell my brains how to get in contact with you so they can love, like, share. She's a point and a click away. Because she's in Ireland, did you hear her? I mean, she rattled it off like, you know, like brand new money. Very clear, very concise. She knows what she's doing, Brains. This is not, you know, just a, a girlfriend call. This is really, really some deep work. And I think it's very valuable, again, to just talk to someone, to consult with someone before you make rash decisions. Yeah. And can I just also say, I I use my maiden name for the coaching and I just realized I haven't changed it on this. So the links that we're going to put underneath the the um, the the YouTube are going to be my coaching links and my maiden. I'm going to type it up here now so people can see it because oh, you know what? You can't see it for some reason. when. I... Oh, 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 that's quite good then. OK, so my 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 name, my maiden name is Scottish. So here's a mouthful for you. It's Claire Ockmuty. 
Okay. <laughs> so what we're going to do is I'm going to, you're going to send it to me and I'm going to put it at the end of the yeah. video so that people. It'll can make it easier it. because yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> I know. How, wait, is it, what is it again, Claire? Oxmuty. Oxmuty. Yes, it's from a place in Scotland called Fife, and there's a town there called Octromocti, and my, my family name is from there. Yes. Wow. See, you learn something new every day, Brains, here so on the Well, uh, Claire, again, like I said, you are absolutely amazing. Oh, Thank I you will. so much. <laughs> Thank you so <laughs> much for really working us through the process because there's a lot to think about. But, Brains, she was very clear. And what I like uh, that I hear in her voice is that she's very level-headed. Again, I don't hear a lot of judgment. Well, you know, this and that. You don't hear a lot of that uh, melancholy kind of stuff. It's kind of matter of factly, and that's what you need. So thank you. Can, so I, can I add one thing just before Absolutely. we go? The biggest learning for me, and I think that this is probably something that is universal, is uh, as a nurse, I was able to be compassionate with the world, but I didn't know how to show self-compassion. I didn't know how to be compassionate with myself. And my divorce journey has taught me what compassion looks like and what compassion feels like. And the journey that I've done has shown me a side to, to God in a compassionate way that I wouldn't have experienced if I hadn't walked this walk. And compassion is something that you feel that somebody affords to you. And it's a very, very important part of healing on a divorce journey because it is rough sea, but it is possible to come out the other side whole and with peace and connected. Wow. And that's what you want. You don't want to end up in pieces. Thank you so much, Claire. I appreciate you. Uh, I value you. And Brains, you know, do all that you can do to be gentle with yourself, be smart, mm -hmm. and, you know, the struggle is real. Talk to you yeah. soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.